Hello, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Good evening. Indeed, good evening, fellas. Uh, a return to our usual roles here, which sadly for all of you allows me plenty of scope for palace and coronation puns here. Although there weren't really any to be had, were there? <laughs> at the end of it. Uh, but as much as anything, we'll be looking back at today's match against Crystal Palace, which actually happened yesterday. Um, but I'm just reading my notes. Uh, wrote, as you can tell, they've got that completely wrong. So you really again, live for the moment, don't you, Steph? <laughs> I do indeed, my friend. Uh, we'll be looking back at yesterday's match against Crystal Palace at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. As much to see whether the sputtering shoots of improvement we've seen in second halves against Man United and Liverpool have transcended time and are now a nice. 90-minute affair. Uh, Victory was ours by one goal to nil, but there's plenty more to digest from the match. So without further ado, chaps, I'm just going to dive right into, you know, it's the question we ask each week, but I think this week it probably bears a little more discussion than usual, right? What did you think of the team selection and were there any tactical changes that you noticed? It's a bit of a leading question that last one. one (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you kick us off, Milo? First off, I'd like to say Ryan Mason is a kind of podcaster and tactics nerd's dream in that kind of every game so far, we've had a kind of slight change in tactics based on the opposition and, um, and yeah, and different lineups. So it's kind of, he's the anti Conte, um, in terms of what we've got here, where this was a redundant question for most of the last year and a half, but, uh, but not anymore. So in terms of the lineup, um, also, we've got confirmation that Larice is out for the season, so it's Forster. So that's going to be a, hopefully a standing a standing position now for the rest of the season. Um, it's probably worth me saying about the tactics actually at this point because the tactics kind of define the formation. So we played a, a fluid formation between a four four two defending and a three four three attacking. Um, so in a back four, it was Royal Romero, Longley, and Davis, which became a back three of uh, Royal Romero and Longley with Davis and Porro becoming wing backs. And in the 4-4-2, our midfield was Porro, Skip and Hoybier. Um, And then our front three was Richardson and Kane, which became a front three in attack. Um, so, yeah, really interesting. Lots to get into on you know, how that worked and, and the reasons for it. Um, but, yeah, an, an interesting choice. And I think it worked quite well. So the other thing actually is probably worth saying is Hoybier was back to being the deepest of the midfielders. We saw Skip as the deepest last week, but Hoybier was back there this week. Yeah, just to clarify, I think you meant uh, the 3-4-3 with the three forwards. I think it came out as 4-4-2 when you were saying it, but um, I think that was just confusion because, let's face it, we haven't had this much tactical excite- flexibility and excitement to go over for a long time and it's easy to get your, your, your fours and threes and twos I'm, confused. But uh, I, but you yeah. Yeah, look, I, you know exactly what was going on. I was just clarifying, that's all. <laughs> I think the other thing you have worth, nailed. I think the other thing that's worth saying is that you know the change in formation allowed us to play higher up, so the uh, defence was a far higher line than we've seen before, which helped us uh, hold possession more. Um, and then also with Richarlison and Kane up top, Richie was Kane's legs and it allowed us to press from the front, which is I think yeah. I think that Mason's done some really interesting stuff here that helps answer quite a few questions we've got about the squad and you know I'm kind of looking ahead to next season now and what that might look like and each of these games and the tweaks he's doing uh, tell us a little bit about that I think yeah um, yeah really um, really interesting tactics when the team sheets came out uh, me and the guys that I'm there with we I think we wrote down mentally about four different formations and different ways that these 11 could fit onto the pitch um, I think I'd convinced myself that Davis and Porro were playing as wing backs because of the way that the teams warmed up. They do a warm up where they have the wide players who then go and cross the ball for the three forwards. And that's definitely what they did. And then the game kicked off and it looked to all intent and purposes like a 4-4-2. So yeah, it was, um, it was a really fluid formation that depending on which team had the ball and which second of the game it was, you could have interpreted it as one or the other. So it was, um, it was intriguing tactically to watch. It was both. It was both. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I noticed the most about the selection is that it was a selection that really, um, it was designed to bring out the best, not just of each player on the pitch, but for the players around those players. So for each other. Uh, and I think we'll get into that a little later. I think we've got a lot more detail to, to delve into on that because I think it's a really, really vital uh, vitally important ingredient in what Ryan Mason is doing is he's trying to find the best, uh, not just the best shapes for the individual, but for the individual to help his teammate. 
and vice versa. And I think that was, you know, that was what I recognized the most out of what you've both been saying about this tactically fluid formation. I don't think we'd have been able to do this without that first 11 mm. is, is kind of what I'm getting at. And we'll, and we'll get into that for sure. Um, I mean, our next question, Steph, our next question is, yes. is actually what you just said. So did the defensive yeah. tactics make the most of Poro <laughs> and Royal's strengths whilst mitigating, mitigating against their weaknesses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it something we should stick with? Uh, I, I think, yeah. So, I mean, Gareth, yeah. split the difference okay. between Milo and I asking the questions <laughs> well, yeah, and coming okay. with that. No, because it's, it's, it's it is a, a, like the formation yesterday. It was, it's a very fluid uh, transition. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, just, just, just some, some general thoughts. So Ryan Mason is, and I totally understand why is very focused on getting as many positive results as he can as possible for the rest of the season. Now it sounds like I'm stating the bleeding obvious there. Um, but potentially there is a case that someone might come in. They might think, Do you know what, let's, get Lucas Moura nowhere near the team. Let's get players who have got no future in nowhere near the team. Let's get Alfie Devine in. Let's get Romain Mundell in. Let's give them some some game time. And I think some fans will probably buy into that. Um, but Ryan Mason wants to get as many points on the board as possible. Um, and to do that, he's going to put out the team that he thinks is most likely to get the three points. So it was a very pragmatic uh, team selection. And I think it was, well, let's be honest, it was a tough watch. It was not a good game to watch at all. I think, for the neutrals' perspective, it was um, it, it, it was really, really dull, which is reflected in the number of shots that that both teams had. But understandably, if you look at what's been happening in the last three games defensively, we've been awful. So the things are going incorrect. Is the defence? And um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, so I'm walking right into this one. Um, but Jose Mourinho, a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, gave the analogy of his short blanket. So if you pull the blanket over his feet, then he <laughs> His head and shoulders were cold. If he pulled it over his head and shoulders, his his feet got cold. And that feels like what we are at the moment. That um, we've gone, we've been in a team that's been far too open and far, and the weaknesses have been exposed. So in tightening those up, it has definitely negated what we do in attack. And I totally understand why that happens, but I think we just need to reflect that yesterday's game was not a fun game to watch even if it was very tactically intriguing as to what happened. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because I, t- I totally understand the context and, and why that was the right thing to do yesterday. But it was a bloody awful game of football and it was, a, it was as dull as anything I've seen in the last three to four years. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Oh, my I, word. Whoever I, said that contrast in, in viewing football was dead. <laughs> Nobody actually, but it isn't. You can tell. I, I, you know, I thought we were smart. I thought we completely stifled Palace. I thought you know we were in control all the way through. I thought it was a really good performance. We could have had we could have had more goals. Um, I thought it was fine. And you know, he's, he's fixing things that have been wrong. I, I'm happy with that. And like I said, I think it is partly because I'm kind of viewing it as to where we are next season. Um, but I thought there was, there was plenty to enjoy in it. But back back to the question though, Steph, about in terms of that yeah. kind of defence and whether we're mitigating yeah. against the strengths of it. I mean, I, I think I think that's the case. I mean, Poro we know is struggling defensively. We know that he's um, taking a little while to adapt to the pace of the Premier League, um, and probably isn't quite as strong as you know he will be next season after he's had a full pre-season and what have you. We know that Royale isn't very good going forwards. So he can't really carry the ball out. Um, so this kind of hybrid system where Royale comes inside and becomes a, you know, the third centre back when we're attacking and Poro has some cover behind him when we're defending, you know, and Royal's one of the best one-on-one defenders in the club, I think makes, makes a lot of sense. I, I would have, I would have some question marks about Royal in, um, against better opposition, but I'll come back to that. Steph, you, what are you going to say? Yeah. Well, I it, in this, you know, this is a fairly fluid uh, run at the beginning of the uh, of this section. To be honest, because we're about to run into the next question, which I'll presage and say was, you know, was it a bold decision by Mason to drop Dyer and Perisic? Did it pay off? I think uh, if I can say that plays into the above question, uh, you know, it was absolutely correct to make the most of uh, of, of our players, uh, you know, strengths. And, and mitigate their weaknesses. And to that point, I think Royale's inclusion was was really exciting because it allowed Christian Romero to be the player that he wants to be. And that only happens because Ryan Mason has made that bold decision. Are we right? Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. I think Romero's a defender who needs the right supporting cast around him. He's kind of hyper-aggressive, and that means he needs defenders around him who can mop up behind him. And 
uh, in Royal and Longley. I think at least yesterday we had that. Um, I think we've got to bear in mind that Palace didn't press as much. They they did step up a bit in the second half. In the first half, they were dropping off quite a lot. And I think one of my concerns about Royal in this system, I think for it to work, and if we're looking for a, a three with Romero in the middle, you need the wide centre-backs who are, are good on the ball and good with their long-range passing. And we haven't really seen that from Royal in the past. So that's something I'd like to see whether he can develop. I think it's worth persevering with to see whether he can do that. Just yeah, briefly in terms of their, so Royal t- tried three long balls yesterday. Two were successful. He only did he did fifty seven passes in total. Uh, long lay three long balls, six successful, but ninety passes. Romero eighty four passes. So the volume passing is going on elsewhere against better teams that would be targeted. And I think you know he, he's an option there. It's interesting to see it. I'd like to see it tried more, but I don't think he's going to be a first choice dot option in that kind of position. No, and I don't think think anybody's suggesting that, but I think what we've seen is a player that is being, uh, I don't know how you'd say, not reconditioned because that's not (laughs) accurate either. He's always been a good defender, uh, but, you know, sort of it's a bit of a renaissance for him and he's he's found a new purpose within this squad and I think that he offers himself um, as, as a very good option. Yeah, uh, if that particular system or those that fluidity is necessary on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one can fault his effort. No one can fault you know fault his. Yeah, he's just great to have around the place, isn't he? I mean, regardless of everything else, but he's a really solid one-on-one defender. Yeah, he certainly is. He's probably one of the best, actually, one-on-one defenders, I think. He's really very hard to beat. I, I think so. And if we can find a way of making him work in the squad next season, then that's great. And you know, we know that we need to do loads of work to central defence. And if he becomes one of the options, even if it's as a squad player, that makes our summer a lot easier because we've got so much yeah. business to do. So, no, it's Why? definitely worth persevering with. But I've got a question mark over it long term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the way, uh, and I know, Gareth, you're waiting to come in, but I do just want to add, you know, this is another of the players who was targeted and uh, and, and, and targeted for some really uh, offensive uh, abuse and bullying by our fans for some months. And, you know, you had the usual rubbish of people saying he was the shittiest footballer they'd ever seen and so on and so forth, which is just hyperbolic nonsense. And uh, on that basis alone, I am delighted to see him prove them wrong uh you know he is a very good footballer who was not being used in a system that he was comfortable with and thankfully he's had the chance to show that now if the club wants to put a stop to this they should let me on the pitch at half time with a football and i'll show the, i'll show everyone what the shittiest footballer <laughs> they've ever seen is <laughs> i'm right there behind you we can form a dynamic we can form an undynamic duo <laughs> I know. Imagine who's going to cross for who to miss. <laughs> Actually, who's going to cross behind who to not even have a chance to miss? I too. We what. can fight for that. I, I know where Gareth sits. He'd be hiding. He'd be hiding under the seats in front. <laughs> what you mean in that? You think it's second? You think second from the back? He still thinks he's going to get one in the face. <laughs> anyway, but I mean, let's let's okay. Let let's let's get to it. I think Perisic. I think is probably less of a question because he is. He's 33. He's played a lot of football. I think a rest, uh, especially after last week's, um, you know, somewhat tumultuous uh, 95 minutes was probably always on the cards. But, you know, Eric Dyer, who, as I think this pod knows, and I think as you both know, is a player that I I have, uh, you know, deep adoration for. um, But, you know, the evidence is there and has been unfolding for most of the most of the season, definitely since Christmas. It's time, right? I mean, but this is one of his best mates making the decision um i'll ask you both uh, i think we both would feel it would, i think we the three of us would feel it was a, bu- a bold decision are we seeing the end of eric dyer as a first choice at Tottenham hotspur was this the moment do you think yes it it, it was it's been coming for the last few weeks he's not been he's not been alone in um in putting in some pretty poor performances making some bad decisions and and being cruelly exposed um but it was probably the most fixable solution that we had with the players that were available yesterday and I think it's hard for him to come back now um it'd be interesting to see what happens in the in the summer there's only so many players you can go you can get rid of we've probably got six defenders one of which is Longley who's on loan so we'll wait to see what happens with that one um realistically there's probably only two players that will will go in the next transfer window and he's probably the most likely of those two go I think he's probably the most sellable um, and I can see there being good homes for him somewhere else in the Premier League. 
and therefore it wouldn't surprise me that he's the um, he's, he's the first one out. You'd, you'd imagine that most teams from kind of midway in the Premier League down would be quite happy with him if they could get him at the right price. Um, whether he's happy going to some of those clubs or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Steph, in terms of... Um, Kind of, we couldn't have played the formation we played yesterday or the system we played yesterday with him in it. Um, playing that high line, he can't play it. He can't. He can't do that. And I think if we're honest, the you know the, the system we played under Conte with him as the kind of the deepest of the mid, uh, of the defensive three um, was partly to um, kind of play to his strengths and mitigate against his weaknesses. I think uh, you know for a period last season he looked very good in that position, um, but it limits how we can play. And if we want to play possession football, if we want to try and control games, if we want to try and uh, be more aggressive and you know, kind of play the football that we've been moaning about not being able to see for you know quite a few years now, then he can't play in that team because you know, he can't play that. He, he's too slow, too slow on the turn, and you know, can't play in a two. So yeah, I think I think it's best for him and um, and us if if he if he leaves in the summer. But you know, he's got a year left on his contract. Um, so you know, maybe he stays for one more season as a as a backup and and sees out his contract and leaves for free the summer after that. That's that's might might be possible. You know, given how difficult it's going to be shifting players. Yeah, yeah. I feels like it's a a cow that's been milked dry now. Um, mm. I mean, unfortunately for Dyer, I think he's that's somewhat symbolic of um, a sort of modern you modern iteration you, you, Spurs. Are you calling him a lactose fat-free impersonation of milk? <laughs> um, Is that what yeah, we've <laughs> certainly not been getting um, get, getting the real deal no, from him. No cream on top when you pop the when you when you take the little foil bit off. Sorry, I'm showing my age there. Milk bottles <laughs> used to have milk with a big thick plug of cream on the you, top. You've got Dennis Gold Top, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Gold top, exactly. Uh, that was uh, that was this week's age reference on the game is about glory. Um, I think I think one of the things that I really uh, uh, was thinking a lot about actually after the game yesterday was I, I finally went back and watched the whole Liverpool game because I haven't had a chance since I got home and everything. And you know, I was trying to figure out those concessions because they were they were cheap, nasty, and they seemed extremely fixable. Even on the pitch, I couldn't figure out why after the first one it wasn't fixable. And whilst I didn't see Eric Dyer has been particularly culpable for any of them, what I have come to realise is that he's the way he is playing right now is affecting the performance of others around him and making them unsure. And so at Liverpool, I noticed you know t- two of those three goals were, were were definitely down to the uncertainty of of, of, of the def- immediate defenders around him. And it was one thing I didn't notice yesterday. Everyone seemed extremely comfortable, and I I put that down to the fact that Royale is a more athletic. Um, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, faster and younger player, and it just seemed to give both Poro and uh, Romero more confidence. And so, uh, uh, it's as, as much as it pains me to say it, I think this is the end of, of Eric's uh, time with us uh, as a, definitely a first teamer. And I, I, it is brave of Mason to do it, though, right? Nobody yeah. else has done it. I mean, well, this uh, is a young manager making that call, and especially when you think the criticism of him last time round was that he just picked his yeah. mates. And yeah, he's clearly not doing exactly. that. Exactly. I mean, one thing for yesterday. So yesterday was our second lowest XG conceded. So XG against wow. us of the, of the season. The only time wow. we've done better than that was the two nil victory at home against Chelsea when they were all awful. Mm. So yeah, second best um, XG against best figure. So zero point three one was the XG against. Wow. Amazing. I mean, and and so our next question, uh, I think, Gareth, you've already addressed your side of this. Was this our most professional steady performance of the season? I think that you um, have have described it as basically dishwater um, and, and, you know, not the light and fun kind of dishwater, if there is light and fun dishwater out there i don't know if there is are you gonna try really and stretch, gonna try stretch this out into a- <laughs> i am i'm stretching out this is not the dishwater that's got some clarity in it and some like lemon scented bubbles this was like the dishwater with like curry remnants and coffee grounds and everything and little chunks of carrot right this yeah, it was murky. and it could yeah. look like vomit actually right that's what you're saying this Have is why listeners come back this is why listeners <laughs> tune in every week for <laughs> Is, what's, the, what's, the, what's the phrase? Was it the most professionally stable 
performance of the season. What was the professional? Steady, steady, rock steady. Yeah, rock steady, mate. Rock steady. It was both of those things. It was it was a very professional performance because it addressed the, the it addressed the challenges and the problems that had been exposed in the three games beforehand. And yeah, it was very steady. And the statistics stand that out both in terms of xG, in terms of the number of shots that we conceded, shots on target that we that we conceded against. So it was both of those things. Um, and I, I think Ryan Mason tactically comes out of that very, very well for his, his preparation for it. Um, so yes, it is professional. And yes, it was very, very steady. Um, but it was incredibly dull, but it was fit for purpose for what the situation required yesterday. Steph, you, what you've got to bear in mind is that Gareth has been yeah, on that white knuckle thrill ride that is a team with Hugo Lloris and Eric Dyer in it all season. <laughs> and he knows, he knows that means goals. And, yeah. you know, after a while, you know, this is, this is kind of, you know, methadone to a, to a junkie, isn't it? This is, it's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's coming down off that, that fix and it's yeah, going to yeah. take a while to wean him off. He's going, yeah. going cold turkey. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough uh, to see. And, and actually, I mean, if you, again, if you look at like last weekend and then, or, you know, the Liverpool weekend and this weekend, it was just about the most opposite game you could possibly have imagined. Um, and, and a lot of that does go to, to, to Ryan Mason, uh, and, and the tweaks he's making to, to try and find the, the, the right recipe. One thing that might be worth watching. So, as I said, he has tweaked. The, the system, the formation, um, you know, the tactics, every game so far. So we are seeing changes game to game. And I do wonder whether that doubling up of um, Royal and Porro on the right might have been designed because of Zaha and whether that was a threat identified and they were just trying to neutralise neutralize him. So it'd be interesting to see what we do against Villa next weekend who you know kind of pose a very different threat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I mean we, it was Ryan's third game in charge uh I get the impression that the next part of this question, how do we think he's doing? I think I know what each of you are going to say, but, but you know, let me not predict it. Why don't you say it or not, as the case may be? Milo, um, you go. I think he's doing really well. And I think, yeah, I, I, you know, you're seeing progress. You're seeing progression. This is the first time he's had a full week working with the team ahead of a game. And I do wonder whether he's, you know, whether he's putting himself in contention for, for jobs, you know, you know, Palace are without a manager at the moment. And I can't help but think that if they, they watched how we were set up yesterday and how we approached the game, that he, he ought to be a contender. Oh, and their current seat warmer will certainly speak up for him, won't he? He loves him. He gave him his England debut. Roy Hodgson yeah. gave him his England debut. And he will have plenty of good things to say about and, him, aside from what everyone can see. I mean, and I think it would be a good move for him if, it, if, it, if he was offered it. They've got some good young players there. It's a, it's a you know, decently run club. Um, you know, Gareth, I know you're concerned about him going to, you know, Championship or League One and kind of drowning in, mm. in this, in kind of mediocrity of some of the clubs there and, and it ruining his career. But you wouldn't say that about Palace, would you? No, I wouldn't. I, I think there's some, there's probably some good progressive thinking Championship clubs and, and Premier League clubs where he will be doing himself a huge favour with some of the results and performances he's getting. So, yeah, I, mean, look, I, I think he's doing really well. Um, I mean, totally regardless of the, tactically the things that are going on. And I think we should also credit Matt Wells, who's involved mm, in that yes. as well, because I think that's, I think that's his... Well said. Um, I think that's something that he gets heavily involved in. Um, I mean, just the way that Ryan Mason speaks, I think it's really, really refreshing. Uh, he did have a, quite a brief media career, I think, before he decided to focus on the, on the coaching side. And I think that comes through. Um, I think he's quite outspoken when he needs to be. So I think he's probably mm-hmm. quite, quite forceful and forthright when he needs to make a decision as, as proven by dropping both Dyer and Perisic yesterday. So, um, a bit, look, from a from a from a coaching nerd's perspective, yesterday's performance and how he set the team up, I, th- I think it was fantastic. I think he's done himself a lot of favours, and um, I'd be really keen on him being a proper number two to whoever our next manager mm-hmm. is. I, I think that might be the best thing for him, and I would also really, really like Matt Wells to be part of that setup as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and I mean, I think one of the things I'm enjoying the most about ryan mason is that he is actually helping us identify and 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 maybe solidify what some of us have already felt um in terms of who needs to be moved on and who doesn't we we, we are left in no doubt uh over the last three games as to where the exact problems lie whether that be because he has tweaked to improve the situation or whether that be because he chose a side that you know 
had uh you know was was overexposed uh so I, I i like the fact that he's actually trying to find answers as opposed to beating his head against a wall in the you know with the, with one thing um and I, quite frankly it's probably also a reaction to having had a manager who did precisely that i'm just relieved I mean, it's a great relief. And, you know, this goes back to last week's game as well. I was relieved. I know we lost the game, but, you know, what we learned during that 95 minutes was absolutely fucking invaluable in terms of the future that this club needs to have. So I, I agree with both of you. I think he's doing a wonderful job and I'd actually be a little upset if he went to Palace. You know, I want to keep him, but I also don't I don't want him to uh, have his career stunted. So but, it, yeah, it's he, a tough one. He needs experience. So if, if he's going to be contender yeah. for Spurs manager after one, yes. then he, need, he needs a job. And yeah. I mean, I think ideal, ideally, he stays next. He stays next season, and then then gets a job after that. But yeah. but you also know that, and he'll know this from his playing career. Those options aren't always on the table. Things change. You know, opportunities yeah. that are, are around now might not be around in a year's time. You know, his stock could fall very quickly. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that if he was offered a decent job, he would take it because it might not be there again. Can, can I throw this question at you that's not in the notes and this spinning off the top of my head? Um, uh, listeners should note there is a look of palpable fear in everyone's face. At the th- <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's a genuine, I think it's something to genuinely think about, and I'm sure there's a common sense answer. But you no, know, Julian Nagelsmann is, is he 32? Am 35. I right? 35. Uh, Ryan Mason is 32. 32. Ryan Mason's in his second spell of caretaker management. Uh, uh, you know, at our club, he's been the assistant to, uh, to Antonio Conte, Mourinho, um, and Mourinho, Mourinho. So you know, Nagelsmann obviously, you know, came alive at Red Bull uh, and went to Bayern, and it didn't work out for him at Bayern, and here he is. I'm just putting out there what essentially makes Nagelsmann so much of a quote unquote better candidate for this job than Ryan Mason. I think it's worth articulating, uh, you know, if there is a clear answer. Well, Nagelsmann would be in, this would be his fourth job and he's been successful at every single club he's been at so far. So, you know, in terms of you know, form and, you know, experience coming into this, he's got far, far more experience. He's far, you know, got a, a long record of success. So he's improved, um, you know, Hoffenheim and then uh, Red Bull, he did fantastic work there. Um, so he's, yeah, he's a lot more experienced and, you know, I, I mean, we've been discussing this kind of off pod. Um, I would, I would err towards players with a bit of a longer track record. Cause I think you know a bit more of what you're going to get and it's a l- little less of a risk. And as I said last week, you know, if we were a better run club and the off field side was stable and we had a director of football there, uh, you know, who everyone knew and, and Mason was kind of embedded in that, then I, I, I be a lot more inclined to give him that chance but we're not that club and we're in a state of flux at the moment and you know we could be the club that eats him up that gareth's so worried could happen in league one or the championship so um but i think he's great i think he's done a really good job and i hope he does get the job eventually yeah <laughs> um i yeah i mean Noel Guzman has those experiences of being in the firing line of making tough decisions of setting um, teams up and creating strategies at the highest level. And Mason doesn't have those things at the moment. So as I said, I mean, maybe the two of them working in combination, if that was something that was palatable to either of them would be an ideal solution, not just in the immediate term, but as a, as a bit of a succession planning as well. Yeah, no. um, And I agree, I agree with you both. And I, but it is a question that I've, you know, I've heard a few people sort of circulating it and I thought it was worth throwing out there. So as we can break it down, I mean, you know, the experiences are different when it comes Mm. to setting teams up (laughs) for Champions League versus, you know, where we are right now. I, th- I think there's a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a mistake people make when they think about the, you, you've, I've heard people say about, you know, company, for instance, well, Arteta's successful. So therefore company might be or whatever. You know, the least important thing about Arteta is his age. It's the same as when, you know, you get a manager, I don't know, who's German success, is successful. So you need another German manager. Actually, their nationality is the least important thing about them. It's, right. you know, what type of football do they play? What's their approach? Does it fit the club? How, you know, how are they going to, bring through young players you know, all that kind of stuff is far more important we could find a 60 year old manager who's the right person for that you know there are some out there um but so I, yeah i don't think i think we get a bit fixated on you know kind of where someone's from or their age or you know one 
character rather than looking actually at their profile of a, as, a, as a manager, and that's probably more important. No, I think that's a very good point. Um, so let's let's talk once again about Harry Kane. Uh, where would we where would we be without him? <laughs> I mean, yesterday he uh, sort of you know he sort of started his own goal, didn't he? Uh, and uh, in, in the process, uh, jumped above Wayne Rooney um, uh, almost literally, actually. He jumped above everyone, stick didn't he? To, what's yeah. that? He did he yeah, to everyone. become he did to become the second highest goal scorer in Premier League history. Um, I thought it was an interesting game for Harry. I thought he was uh, I thought he was at times brilliant, but I thought Richarlison's hustle, bustle, and pressing allowed him to uh shall we say uh approach the game uh, with a little more latitude and and uh, maybe not quite so much freneticism um and the you know the space he found on that back stick was i mean palace will be kicking themselves all day but again you know there was a lot of hustle and bustle uh, ahead of him uh for you know most of the first half and he's found the space he's done it what i mean what more is there to say about harry kane i've just tried for a minute and a half mm. <laughs> <laughs> One of you bring us away. Well, I, I congratulated the pair of you last week on your pod performance for rotating between the nine and ten roles fairly seamlessly. And you, you've, you've gone back to sort of form, as you alluded to, right at the start. But Harry Kane switched from the nine and ten role within the space of a move. So within the space of about ten seconds, he'd, <laughs> he'd dropped off into a number ten role, intelligently flicked the ball into the path of Poro down by the corner flag and then became the number nine again to head it into the back post. He's, um, he's, it's so easy to take him for granted. We just got used to seeing him. I mean, the unfortunate thing is, you know, at some point, hopefully in the, in the long term future rather than the short term future, he won't be a Spurs player anymore. And we'll have another centre forward whose name's written on the team sheet every week. And whoever they are, they're just not going to be Harry Kane. And it's going to be possibly in our lifetimes, we're not going to see a, well, whether he's a number nine or a number 10 on the back of the shirt, a player who is as good as, as Harry Kane. And we've got to absolutely make the most of every moment we, we have with him. I mean, I think you, you said he, it puts him second highest and it's worth just looking at. So that's 209 goals in 317 appearances. Shearer's 260 in 441. So he's well ahead of Shearer in terms of goals per game. And at the rate he's going at the moment, well, depending on how many he can get in the last few games, you could be looking at a couple of seasons, couldn't you, for him to break Shearer's record, which is, is remarkable. So that would be having him at 32. And you'd imagine that he'd be playing in some form or another, you know, barring a horrible, horrible injury or something. You'd, you could imagine he's a player who could play well into his 30s. So he could put this completely out of touch for anyone. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you would, you wouldn't, it, it, you you wouldn't bet past him making it kind of 300 goals, something like that. No, absolutely not. And uh, you know, our coverage um, here in uh, in the US yesterday at half time included a little vignette piece um with Alan Shearer um i mean as it would given the stakes and given what happened uh you know because of course you know Harry Kane is closing in on Alan Shearer's record and so on and so forth but the thing that really got me about it was it was a 5 minute piece and it was actually gripping because Alan Shearer is basically saying you know you can keep your trophies i did this with with my with my club i broke i broke this record with my club and it meant everything to me it meant the world i and uh, he said he even said i have a statue outside so that means and he said that means more to me than any trophy i could have won and i just wanted to grab that five minutes uh you know and send it on a little memory to stick. charlie to Ch- well, to Charlie, to the new reps that of Harry, but to Harry, you know, ask Mrs. Kane to 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 just casually maybe be watching it and saying, "Oh, come on, love, don't you, don't you? This could be you." I I I hope I hope it happens. I, I I'm a dreamer. <laughs> there were a couple of other records he got yesterday as well. So he's the first player to score 100 Premier League goals home and away. Yep. So that was his hundredth at home yesterday. Yep. 109 away, and he yeah. became so he set a record for the most headed goals in a Premier League season. So that was ah. his 10th ten, headed goal of the season. Ah, okay. Now you've hit something that I've observed about Harry Kane for many years, and this is weird. Okay, this is a weird thing. I, I want you both to do this. Put your fingers. No, no. Put your glass down. This is not a time for you to you slam that pint of gin and tonic, even though I'm talking rubbish. Put your fingers here and just push your fingers up to like just mid temple, right around here. Mm-hmm. And for the reader, we're just right above our eyeballs, like at the top of your forehead. Um, those two spots, it always looks to me like Harry Kane has a pair of horns waiting to burst out of those. Have you ever noticed this? He's got these two little bumps on his head here, more pronounced than with most players. Am I? Have you noticed this? I'm, I'm not going mental, am I? 
Yeah, no, I noticed well, I mean, one on, on the left-hand side here. You've noticed, look on the right, he's got a pair of them. I, and mm-hmm. I don't know where this plays in, but when we talk about him breaking headed goals records, I can't help but feel that Harry's horns have something to do with it. Mm, I've worried you were going to say the devil horns, which indicate he's going to be a Man United player next season. No, don't say that. My God. No, but look, but, but everyone, look, look at look at a picture of him, uh, especially during game, because they really seem to come out a little more during the game. Mm-hmm. And if you think I'm completely mental, hit our social media and 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 ask Milo to make sure this sort of rubbish never I, makes it on a pod again. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. I don't. I don't. No, want, it I, was quite pronounced <laughs> last. It was quite pronounced last night in his match of the day interview. I mean, if he'd been a Looney Tunes animation there would have been a little bird flying around it excellent Fantastic. I, I don't want people tweeting me steph about kind of steph's horny for harry or whatever it is i don't i don't want this i don't want this on my timeline um, oh dear, okay let's let's should we move it on should we yes. move it on and get us out of this zone? I mean, what what did we think of Crystal Palace? I mean, again, take into account Roy Hodgson, you know, is uh, basically, you know, gave Ryan Mason his England debut, knows him very well, bit of a father figure. We all thought he's retired. He's come in. He's basically saved Crystal Palace from a relegation fight. Um, you know, what do we think of them? I think on the day they were they were very competent. They were also clearly a team in in high confidence as well. They're far more fluid than Palace teams I've seen in in years gone by. Um, Elise, I think, is a player who's got a really really high ceiling. Um, I you know I'd love him to be a Spurs, but I'm not quite sure where he'd fit in at the moment. But you think he's the sort of player he might be like um, sort of Diego Jota or Amares or a player who just suddenly looks even better if he's playing around better players every week. You could see him being part of a Champions League squad somewhere. So um, I, th- I thought they, I thought they were good yesterday. I think they certainly gave us a much better game than they did back at Sellers Park in, in January. They're, um, they're, they're, they're a fascinate, they're a, they fascinate me, Crystal Palace, just as a club, just in their position in the league, that they've, they've tried on several occasions to make this next jump to be this sort of progressive club and perhaps almost do what Brighton are doing. And I don't know if any Palace fans are listening to us, they're going to be throwing, oh throwing something God. at the camera. I've made that. Can't believe you've gone term, there, but, mate. Um, but they, they uh, uh, if Dave, Dave Ling, if you're listening to this, I, I, I apologise. I apologise, Mr. Ling. That was that that was not uh, in any way connected to me. <laughs> but you, you'd, you'd imagine that that's probably the sort of that's where they'd like to be. That would be the next logical step. Would be to try and play that sort of more progressive football. Um, but they've been in the Premier League for ten years now, and I think that's their longest unbroken period in the top flight. And I, I think in that ten years, despite going through lots of managers, they never really looked like getting relegated either. So they're fairly landlocked in that sort of position somewhere between eleventh and and fourteenth every season. Um, and I think that their next managerial appointment, if indeed they do change Roy over the summer, will be a really fascinating one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I thought they were a bit stodgy yesterday, but. Hodgson's come in to do a job and that's to keep them up and and has done you know done that and done that well um I agree with Gareth about Alisa I really like him as you know I've got a, a list of players for the summer which um is completely pointless because it's nothing to do with me um but it keeps me entertained and and he's on that and I think you know he he could potentially you know be useful cover in the right wing forwards you know in in central midfielder as a number 10 so it would give us flexibility and um he, you know he's homegrown 21 so i think makes a lot of sense for for where we are so I, he'd definitely be a player that i you know I, I think we ought to inquire about in the summer whether Palace are willing to sell him on i don't know or you know whether within our budget but you know he's a really good player and they Palace have got quite a few quite a few good players i'm, I'm surprised that they yeah. found themselves in the problems they did earlier in the season and kind of that drop off under Vieira um before beforehand was marked because last year i think we were all quite impressed with the job that Vieira was doing and it just fell to pieces this year which is which is a shame really i mean i i love an insouissant player and i think elise has uh, exudes insouissance he looks so it's got a bit of swagger about him and he really looks uh he's almost got that swagger that early delhi had like that sort of supreme confidence and uh i do like that i really enjoy that in a player and i have he's, to say he, uh as a cl- he's a far better t- player technically than delhi though delhi was all instinct and and everything you know it wasn't very refined and elise i think is a very refined player there's, there's no need to get there's no need to get technical about delhi now Come on, there's no need for that. Burying Dyer this week is enough, is it? We can't. We can't. It is. You're absolutely. You're absolutely right. I've just. I've just had a pause. And I'm just thinking. My God, what the fuck happened? That that's a summer pod. We do need to go there at some point. We haven't fully done it. It's such a tragedy. I can't. I anyway. Anyway. Um. 
Palace are a club I have a lot of time for. I really like them. I think their supporters are great. I think their support base is great. Um, I, 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 they're, they're a club I have a lot of time for. And I thought yesterday, you know, on another day, they would have come away with a point, I think. I mean, they're towards the end. They were putting some serious pressure on us that we had to withstand. The other thing I thought, Watching, watching all of them yesterday was just looking at Zaha, and you, I sort of feel a bit sorry for him because he's got stuck in that corridor of uncertainty for a player in their career. He's what is he thirty, thirty one, and he's still definitely 31. got. He's got. I mean, he's got some tremendous moves, and he's he's pretty much got everything. And I think that 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 early chance he got at Man United that just didn't work out for whatever reason. If that had happened a couple of years later, I think he would have really, really been a, a, a pretty big player in international football. But sadly, I think it's going to pass him by. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to get the big move that you know perhaps his skill warrants because of his age. And he's, I thought he was actually very good yesterday. I really did. He's always a handful, isn't he? Um, yeah. He's out of contract in the summer. I think he's been linked with quite a few clubs overseas. And I don't think that would be a bad move for him at this point in his no. career. Um, he has an unknown quali- uh, quantity in a, in a different league. I think he could really, yeah. really grasp that. And uh, yeah, he's a good player, a really good player. Yeah. But I agree with yeah. you. I think the move to Man U, it just happened at the wrong time for him. It did. And uh, I'm intrigued to see whether Palace stick with Roy Hodgson. I, I don't suppose they can really, because g- given where Roy was, you know, when they called him, you know, with his feet up uh, watching games and probably driving his missus mad, actually, <laughs> to, you know, um, I don't think he's going to really be able to stick in I, there for another season. It would catch up think, with him. I don't think he wants to. I don't think yeah. he wants to. I think he was just trying to save the club he loves from relegation. Yeah, well, I've you know, in that and and wrapping this up on Palace, well done to Roy Hodgson, and you know, I'm glad. I think Crystal Palace are, are, are a, a great club to have in the Premier Premiership. I, I, it's always a battle when you go to Sellers Park. Love their fan base, and uh, uh, for some reason, I like them more than Brighton. Uh, I just want to put that on record, not because Dave Ling is my friend, but because there's something about the spirit of, of Crystal Palace that I do enjoy. So, yeah. There we go. Uh, one final point, though, before we move on from the Palace game is, and it's a, it's a really just, it's such a, such an annoying and, and just, it's a shitty thing to have to talk about again. Why does this keep happening? Film has emerged last night of um, a Palace fan. Uh, having said the great, having talked about the great supporters of Crystal Palace, well, here's one. Obviously, not representative of everyone. But this one was an idiot uh, making racist gestures to Sonny as he came off the field. You know, this happened earlier in the season at Chelsea. Um, it's it's just becoming really, really tough to to, to, to take. Start, I'll say that again. It's just becoming really tough to take. Uh, and the club issued the following statement on Sunday morning. We are aware of an allegation of racial abuse towards uh, Hong Min Sun. During yesterday's match, discrimination of any kind is abhorrent and has no place in our society, our game, at our club. We are working with the Metropolitan Police and Crystal Palace to investigate and identify the individual involved. We will do everything in our powers to ensure that, if found, the individual will receive the strongest possible action, as was the case earlier this season when Sun offered similar racial abuse at Chelsea. Palace issued... Suffered similar abuse. He didn't offer... He didn't offer abuse at Chelsea. No, apologies. No, when he suffered... Yeah, yeah. No, my bad. Um... And certainly not something to get wrong, in fairness. So uh, thanks for that. It's uh, an important thing. He did suffer similar racial abuse at Chelsea. Palace have issued the following statement. We are aware of a video circulating online, as well as reports made directly to us regarding an individual in the away end at Spurs yesterday, appearing to make racist gestures towards Sonny. Evidence has been shared with the police, and when he is identified, he will face a club ban. We will not tolerate such behaviour in our club. Um, Thankfully, with CCTV being what it is, uh, the individual was clear to uh, everyone uh, wasn't exactly hard to see them and let's hope that he is identified and dealt with swiftly and uh, uh, Milo why don't you see, read this last bit I want to hear it coming from you so the racist prick won't be able to racially abuse anyone in a football stadium for a long time see you say it better than I do I feel it and I agree with you okay chaps uh, last up let's have a quick run through the week's news with the week that was and uh, let me deliver uh, my uh, and let me hand it over to Milo again oh, I'm, I'm doing this am I <laughs> <laughs> well, just bits of it. I mean, you know, we can go back and forth, right? No, that's right. So, so our under-18s beat Aston Villa 3-1 to win the under-18s Premier League Cup. 
Two goals from Rio, Kyra Mayton, and one from Jamie Donnelly were enough to uh, for us to come from a goal down to win. Uh, this was hot on, hot on the heels of our under-17s, and mostly the same players winning this, uh, that age group's version of the same cup a few weeks ago. Um, so I think we've all watched the game. We all watched the game, didn't we? Mm. What did you think? Who stood out? Well, the first thing, the first thing I thought, sorry, Gareth, I'm going to cut you off. First thing I thought was whoever, uh, you know, organized the, the lifting of the cup at the end, uh, the, note, note to the, note to the editor or the producer of that particular event, make sure that the cup is lifted facing the cameras. This is always a very important element because nobody wants to see the back of a head and the back of a, of, of a display board. So that was something I did. Yeah, seriously, in terms of the game, uh, Alfie Dorrington, pretty special yeah lovely for lovely for yeah. donnelly's goal the carried the ball up lovely. nicely and, and and laid it off and was pointing to donnelly telling him which, which run to make as well which was really nice to see yeah um, and i i loved i loved kyra maiden as well i thought his performance was really exciting and i thought the way he was he was popping up into into little pockets and and really looked uh, looked incredibly uh a fleet of feet i think is what mm. i would say very very quick in small spaces and 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 a very intelligent um very intelligent perception of the spaces around him and where he could do the most damage. I was really impressed with him. Really impressed. Yeah, he um, took his goals well. The second goal, particularly, I thought um, was yeah. really it was quite. It was stuck underneath him to get it, get the shot away. I yeah. thought was really good and and curl it in tight. Um, yeah. Just as a side, if you if you've got a computer near you or you're near a computer later on, Google Tottenham under 18s. I'll leave it there. You can just Google it. Yeah. Um, I've only seen the extended highlights, so I can't really deviate too much away from, from what you've said from the key moments and the players that stood out in those. Um, I mean, I, I I could see myself getting Jamie Donnelly's name and number on the back of my shirt. To be honest with you, I, I, I want to be the first um, paid-up member of the Jamie Donnelly Appreciation Society. Um, just just so impressed with him. I know he also played, we'll, we'll talk about the under-21s, I know he played and scored for them today. Um, please, God, whoever's in charge of our loans and that development phase, make sure you get it right with this kid here because he can be a really, really special player for us as long as he's looked after in this period in his career and as long as he gets that little bit of luck that you need in terms of not picking up crucial injuries at the wrong time and in terms of being given that opportunity and the other circumstances around him um but yeah him you know Alfie Dorrington who is he he's the size and shape of a man now as well so physically I think he could cope with um with senior football, whether that's with us or whether that's getting some loan football out somewhere next year, but but yeah, those, those two and um, and Kyle Matron, who's scored the two two goals, are the obvious um, obvious standout. I think Gunter looks decent in goal as well. Good with his feet, confident. Yeah, he's captaining both captain both the under seventeens and eighteens to to the cup as well, which is yeah, you know, he must have the right attitude. Very interesting you bring him up because I was watching him and with the same thoughts as you, actually. I'm like, crikey, you know, he's the 17s and 18s. He's, he's, he's obviously a very important member of the mm. setup being the skipper but then you look at the opportunities and you think of like the pathway for a goalkeeper at any football club is tough and I was looking at our pathway and thinking well you know is someone going to make the decision well we've got to fast track this kid again going back to your theory Milo of age not being important in football it's about the presence you bring and the skills you have you know goalkeeping might be a little different maybe you do need a couple more years you know uh, even if you're a, a teenage protege or whatever but you know do you think there is a, a chance that that he is going to end up in our first team in let's say four or five years. I mean, is it possible? It's possible, but it's a long way away. It's difficult, difficult to call, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think I the, the one thing I would say about keepers, I think it's very difficult to get them loan moves where they're going to play because most clubs have got a number one. Unless someone's injured, it's very, very difficult, bunch. and it, it doesn't make a lot. Bunch, of, it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to loan out a keeper for and sit on someone else's bench. So no. I, I do think it's a really difficult path, and uh, yeah. But having said that. You know, Whiteman and Austin are both, yeah, they're quite old. I mean, they're both well into their 20s now. And I think Whiteman's out of contract this summer. Austin, or is it the other way around? Anyway, one of them's out of contract this summer, one's out of contract the following summer. So, um, yeah, maybe that opens it up in a, in a couple of years' time and there's space to be third choice and, and then it's down to whether you take it or not, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'd love us to be a little bit more brave with goalkeepers. Um, we've, as you've mentioned there, we've got a bit of a blockage at the moment, which may well clear itself out. But with Whiteman, you know, Austin and, and Gunter now, that's three players in that. I don't know about that, probably between 18 and, and 22, 23. I'm not sure whether, how many examples you can find of other clubs really towards the top of the Premier League who invest in their academy goalkeepers and actually give them game time as opposed to just some sort of token mm. substitute appearances every now and then. But I mean, what do we know about Brandon Austin? <laughs> you know, very little about him and now for Whiteman. But I mean, Brandon Austin is a Fraser Forster injury or, or an unfortunate red card away from being thrust into the first team for what could be a really, really <laughs> crucial game. But no, you're, how you're, do you know? I was thinking about this. Uh, you've addressed my ignorance directly and uh, and my superfluous ignorance because when you say, what do we know about Brandon Austin? The only thing I can tell you is that he's got a name that sounds like an American astronaut and I don't really know much about him as a player at all. So you're absolutely right. And it is a mis- what a mystery position goalkeeper is. I think we should do a pod on goalkeepers. Didn't we talk about this before, doing a pod on what it takes to be a reserve goalkeeper? If not a whole pod, a segment. I think maybe in the summer. Yeah. Well, we I don't... Think, sorry, I'm going back to my my favourite topic of 90s football here, but I'm not sure that we've had an academy goalkeeper who's gone in and played more than twice for the first team since Ian Walker. It's his fault. So, so while we're listing off the keepers, of course, we also signed Josh, Josh Keeley in the summer from mm. um, from St. Patrick's Athletics. So he's he's been the main keeper for the under-21s this season. Um, and but, yeah. and this seems as good a point as to, as ever to kind of segue on into the under twenty ones, doesn't it? Really, I mean, we've had the glory of the 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 U seventeens and U eighteens, and you know, with that, there must be contrast. Football is about contrast, and sadly, uh, our twenty one, our under twenty ones, were relegated from Premier League to uh, Division One uh, today. Uh, despite beating West Ham one nil in our last game of the season, uh, we went down on goal difference after being tied on points with Wolves and West Ham, uh, which is pretty crappy. As you pointed out, um, Milo uh, Donnelly scored our only goal today. Um, But, you know, talking, if I can fold this into a question for both of you, and you've both sort of hinted at this, in terms of the 17s and 18s and the 21s, if you're coming into our club and you are wanting to establish a philosophy, where is your focus going to lie in terms of who, who you promote, who you look to get loans for? Where is it going to lie right now? So, I mean, our under 21s, I think our under 18s and 17s are better than our under 21s on the whole. Um, there's quite a few of the under 21s who've been around for a while. You know, you've got players like Niall John. I think Niall John's 20 now. Um, but, you know, had a very unlucky loan to Palace last season. It didn't really work out for him after being kind of hyped by Mourinho and being a part of the first team squad in a few, a few matches. Um, but I think probably the ones, from the under-21s, I mean, obviously, Romain Mundell has really caught everyone's eye this season. Charlie Sayers, I think, looks pretty decent. Uh, Alfie Devine, we're all aware of. Um, and then Sunsup Bell, who we signed from Chelsea in January, I think the the word at the time was that we'd taken him on on the, on the basis that he was going to get a loan next season. So I wouldn't be surprised to see those four players get loans next year. Um, I think quite a few of the under-21s will probably leave in that... You know, you don't really want blocking the progress of the younger players. And then, you know, you'll see the likes of Don Lee, Dorrington, George Abbott, mm. um, Mikey, Moore. Mikey, Mikey Moore, Gunter, uh, Iroh, Lancashire, get promoted up to the under-21s, Curra Mat- uh, Matten as well. And, you know, as we were saying the other week, if, you know, if we're in the conference or maybe even the Europa League, then that would be a good chance for those players to get some first-team experience with us in those competitions, and I think if we are in those competitions, particularly the conference, we ought to be ought to be brave and and give some of those those players the experience. Yeah, yeah, no, and, I, I I completely agree. Yeah, and like, we, we do. Yeah, like you said, you know, I think uh, Donnelly and Dorrington certainly look capable of that, and you know, I'm sure you know that a lot of these other players would be talking about bench, you know, playing coming in the bit, being in the squad, the matchday squad, um, and getting sub appearances and what have you. But yeah, there's there's, there's options there, aren't there? And while while we're here, and I, I'll just throw this in as well, where in both of your opinions does this leave uh, uh, Scarlet and Parrot, who are both out on loan? And, uh, you know, especially with Troy Parrot, we're looking at a player who at one point seemed to have, uh, you know, an exceptional career uh, in front of him. Um, and it just doesn't quite seem to be happening. And again, Dane Scarlett, uh, younger, obviously, than Parrot. Um, you know, do, where do we see them in the mix? Um, go on, Gareth, you go first. 
say, unfortunately, Dane Scholar Donefield's had a very good loan period this season, so he's just kind of drowned at Portsmouth a little bit. He's been an unused substitute in their last four games of the season. Um, he's ended the season looking at his stats. Now he's got four times in, in 34 games for them. So there's now a bit of a blockage in strikers, as we said with goalkeepers, I think even more so with strikers. And you, you've, you've named most of them already. Um, and you, you really feel that he needs to go out and he needs to have a really, really good loan. And I'm not sure that whoever's managing our loans, either we're being very, very unfortunate, particularly with our outfield plays. I think Harvey White hasn't had a great time either at, at Derby. Um, we're either getting really unlucky or we're not picking them very well. I feel that other clubs get players out on loan who are suddenly going straight into the first team in the championship, um, whereas our players seem to be going into lower leg reaches of the championship or or League One, and they're again just 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 drowning in it all. I'm sure that we're. I'm sure I'm probably preempting a pod that we want to do in the summer, but I am just going to throw this. It does sort of mean that we could put. Go on, carry on. So, no, there's a lag because I didn't see you come in while I started. No, 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 no. You carry on, carry on. Just saying, I think it probably does suggest that, you know, one of the most important things aside from sorting out our first team is that, you know, the philosophy we, we bring to the club going forward must include better work with getting loans and possibly even getting a partnership with a club in Europe the, where we can work the young players uh, in a more efficient and you know efficient fashion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is where the new director of football comes in, isn't it? Really, and you, yeah, I agree. We need to improve that. I think it's worth. Mason was asked about um, kind of the route to the first team from academy players um, in his press conference ahead of the Pants mm-hmm. game. I was a little, I was a little surprised. I think um, this was off the back of the under 18s cup win. But uh, he said sometimes it could be a long road. My experience shows that my Premier League debut came at 23. Um, I'll miss out the next bit. And then he talks to so says that period under Pochettino, we had players that were ready. We had five or six players that had a hundred league games under their belt. And I think maybe that's an important point to bear in mind because these players don't have that. And, you know, Mason had been out on loan. Obviously, Carrie Kane, obviously, we know had been, you know, Millwall, Leicester, Norwich, you know, all, all of those clubs. Um, I don't think who else would? Yeah, obviously, Danny Rose had had, had a loan, hadn't he? He'd been up yeah. at Sunderland, hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Cole Walker went and played for QPR and Villa. Of course he did. He joined of us with Sheffield did. United. Yep. So went, I suppose, suppose Delhi, we loaned him back to Milton Keynes. So by the time he kept starting for us, he played a lot of games for them. So I think, you know, we talked, you know, I, I said to kind of that four players, those four players from the under 21s, you know, maybe getting those out on loan next season, get, getting a full season under their belt. And then maybe the best of that under 18s group, you look to loan out the season after that. Um, and give them experience of being around the first team squad and, and involved in Europe as well as playing under 21s this season. And then some of those players, you know, um, Mikey Moore is 15 at the moment. So if you're talking about, you know, 16 this summer. So if he signs a pro contract with us and stays and he's playing under 21s football next year as a 16 year old, then, you know, that's pretty remarkable progress for him. I think as well, why don't we spend a couple more minutes here? Because I think it's a really good conversation. I think that one of the things that we do have to consider is that, you know, the psychological side of youth football at this point and all the people surrounding these kids telling them that they've made it already when they haven't. And I think that Ryan Mason was probably sounding a little note of caution there, basically saying, look, it's great that we've won these trophies, U17s, U18s, but you still have to prove that you're worth the shirt. And essentially saying, you know, <laughs> you're still works in progress. And I do sometimes wonder if what the, youth coaches and 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 uh, you know, have to deal with academy coaches is a, a rise in the chatter around these kids um you know from helpful friends and family members quote unquote that's probably a whole new layer in the game that is maybe stunting the the, the growth of, of several top players and I, I won't name any of them in particular we've named a couple here um or one in particular that i wonder hasn't fallen you know by that trap if you well, will um, so i i picked some parts from Mason's quote. He also said, we've seen in the past the importance of that, but at the same time, players have to be good enough. They have to earn the opportunity. That's the most important message to any young player. They have to work hard. It's not an easy route to the top, especially at a club of this size. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've watched quite a bit of lower league football. I've watched quite a bit of Stevenage. who have just gone up from league two this year. And it's it's virtually like watching a different sport when you go and watch that level of of play. It seriously is. So you take I mean, Alfie Dorrington 
if you put him into a League One or a League Two club, I guarantee to you that no manager who's trying to either keep that team from getting relegated or from going up is going to ask him to bring the ball down, um, try and break through the lines in your defensive third and then link up with your centre forward. All they're going to ask him to do is get your head on it, stick it into the stands so and then we can defend it. And... Um, same, you know, same with midfielders. We've seen a few of our really good midfielders like Harvey White. Again, I've not seen Derby play this year, but I'm guessing all the things that he's been taught over about the last 10 or 12 years since joining our academy as a seven-year-old go completely out the window because actually no one wants him to do that when you're at that level because it's, um, it's just nature of the football league. You only have to look at those clubs' finances to realize what an absolute basket case. And in the, in the same way that we, I would have concerns about Ryan Mason as a coach getting lost in that environment. I think it's absolutely true of, of, of players as well, which is why that loan system, you can maybe pick what you think is quite a progressive club to go on, but chances are they'll have got rid of the manager within three months of that and they're going to get someone in who's going to want crash bang wallet football, which is to- totally um, is, is, is against everything that our academy players will have will have learned. And, and then maybe this is where you know, Steph's point about you know, having a partnership with a European club, maybe in a, in a league that's you know, more... Um, yeah, more in keeping with how we want to play football and, and putting them there. I know that um, you know, Brighton have a partnership with Belgian club, don't they? A couple of clubs have partnerships with Portuguese clubs. Um, you know, maybe that's the right way to do it. Yeah. Well, to be discussed, I'm sure, in the summer, um, a, it, it is a fascinating topic. And uh, to be fair, we probably spent about 15 minutes longer than we expected to on it. But, you know, when you've got your U17s and, and, uh, and your U18s winning trophies and your U21s getting relegated, it is a conversation worth getting into at the moment. So I'm glad we went with it. But uh, you want to bring us home today, uh, Milo? With Go the, on, uh, final so, so the club confirmed earlier this week, earlier last week as you're listening to that um that we will host the first ever premier league barclays women's super league double header at white hart lane on saturday the 20th of may with the men taking on brentford at 12 uh, 12 30 p.m and then the women playing reading at 4 15 um what do you think guys is this a good idea um yeah it is i, th- I think it's really good for the for, for the women to have that stage to play on um it's a really must-win game for them as well against Reading, who are I think one place below them at the moment. What it worries me that there's going to be potentially twenty thousand blokes who have been on the source since twelve o'clock that day, um, thinking they're going in to provide some helpful support that may not be. I think it may slightly destroy the the dynamic, and it's a really healthy dynamic. If you go to any of the women's games, it's a it's a completely different crowd. I mean, I think I'd liken it to Steph for our North American listeners. It's it's like going to a baseball game. It's just a, a, a friendly environment. Maybe not if Philadelphia are playing or bringing their travel fans with them but other than that it's um it's, it's just a really nice atmosphere you can have opposing fans sitting next to each other everyone's very positive and I, I I don't know what it would be like in those circumstances say you still got 20,000 fans pouring out of the south stand and and, and thinking they're being helpful but maybe not I, I've seen some criticism from the you know, fans of the, of the women's team for that reason I think there's a there's a couple of you know kind of points that are causing concern I'd recommend say friend of the pod Caroline Stefko's Spurs Across the Pond newsletter, which if you haven't subscribed, you really should subscribe to. She did an excellent newsletter on it this last last week where she's talking about this point and saying, you know, I think the switch so late for such a key game isn't great. Um, I think there's a concern amongst quite a few of our fans of our women's team that they're a bit of an afterthought to the club and are ignored a lot of the time. And then kind of, you know, switching switching venue for, a, as you said, a relegation six-pointer. So you've got players playing in a really important game in a less familiar surroundings isn't great and then also just concerns around the fans so if you if you're a season ticket holder for the women's team and then you'll move to the the stand do you keep your seat how does that work you know i think there's quite a few issues around this and i think there is a bit of a feeling that whilst kind of the profile raising is great maybe it hasn't been fully thought through I am interested. Was this, I mean, I, again, this might be naivety on my part. I mean, I assume that any, you know, business or organization would have had this slated for some months and they've only just started marketing it now. Is that not the case? I mean, was this a decision that was made like two weeks ago? That's no, no, okay. last, well, my understanding is that it was announced last week and that's the first any of the, uh, the fans of the women's team heard of it. Wow. That I did not know. I, th- I think the most important thing is that the team, the management team were involved in that discussion. And, you know, maybe they said, 
we really what we really enjoyed playing at the stadium again last week against Brighton. It definitely added to the um, to the occasion for us, and we would really appreciate for such an important game being able to give them that opportunity again, or at least be involved in that process. Because from what I understand, uh, playing at Brisbane Road, has, I don't think they've really felt at home there since moving from the Hive, which was Barnet Stadium last yeah. season. Maybe that's had something to do with the downturn in results this year. So look, for, for me, they are the most important stakeholders to have consulted in this group, and if it's something that they were keen to do then for me all the detail after that falls into place including the supporters yeah possibly i think the other thing to bear in mind actually is it's our last home game of the season as well isn't it which is which is um for the men's team um which is always you know a unique atmosphere isn't it and um but you've also had you've also had the negativity around our men's team all season and again if that spills over into something else it could it's not necessarily great, is it? Yeah, because they only knew a couple of weeks ago that the men's game against Brentford was going to kick off at half 12, didn't they? That was the TV pick. If TV had decided that game was going to be at 5.30 on the Saturday or even on the Sunday, then they wouldn't necessarily have had that opportunity. It's only because that's an early kickoff. Ugh. So in which case, it has been last minute and half asked then because right. until, until that so- fixture changed, it couldn't have been done. So it should have been left for next season. In conclusion, well-intentioned, but not the best move. Is that what we're, is that what we're agreeing? I, I think the proof will be in the pudding. Do you know what? If there are 20,000 people that hang around after the men's game who are really interested in it and give really positive support and then will continue to go and watch the women because that's an opportunity they wouldn't have had otherwise, then and, and the team get a positive result, then it will have been a good thing. Friends who support, you know, support the women's team a lot closer than I do, a bit pissed off about the whole thing. And I'll, I'll defer to their better judgment. And with that... Uh, thanks very much, chaps. Uh, we've, I think we uh, explored a, a couple of good avenues there, especially with the, the youth stuff. That was really interesting. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss our away game at Aston Villa uh, in what could be a make-or-break fixture in deciding whether we are playing in the Europa League, Europa Conference, or miraculously sneaking into fourth spot because everyone around us loses all their remaining games this season. I just threw that in there um, because I'm a hopeless optimist, as I've been accused of many times before. And anyway, but so thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>